This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hey, this is Allison. Before we get started, one quick correction going forward. During our conversation with Andrew, he was telling us the story about having met Noelle Stevenson's agent at a party and said offhand that he thought it was in 2005. It was, in fact, in 2012. No time travel was involved in meeting Noelle Stevenson's agent. Anyway, that's it. Enjoy the interview. I think it turned out really great. Hi, I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. And this is Graphic Novel TK. We're excited to talk about acquisitions today, and specifically the acquisition meeting with Andrew Eliopoulos at HarperCollins Children's Books. Hey, Andrew, thanks for coming and doing this episode with us. It's great to be talking to you. Can you tell us a little about who you are and how you got into the industry? And how did you go from there to having the job that you have today? Hi, Gina and Allison. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sure. So I went to college in Chicago and double majored in German literature. And then this weird program in my school called Fundamentals, Issues and Texts, that was close readings, world literature. And between junior and senior year was the summer that everyone knew you were supposed to get an internship. And I really, really wanted to work in children's books. That's, you know, I was reading the great books in class, but then whenever I had a spare moment, to do fun reading. It was always in the children's corner at our 57th Street bookstore. YA was finally becoming a thing. I was reading Francesca Leah Block. Um, And so I I just applied to all of the internships that I could find in children's publishing and got very fortunate um, that an editor at Penguin knew what fundamentals issues and texts was. Her daughter had been a fundamentals issues and text major. Um, And then I had a friend at Chicago who had an older sister who worked at Penguin, and you know it was like all these things came together. I ended up um, interning at Penguin, working on everything from picture books through young adult, and just stayed in touch with them. Um, was very lucky that they had an opening right as I was graduating a year later, um, and so I worked there for about three years, and then came over to HarperCollins about seven years ago to focus on middle grade and young adult fiction. I sort of missed working on picture books and missed working with artists. And so, you know, we had done some graphic novel adaptations, and we certainly do a lot of picture books and heavily illustrated middle grade novels at Harper. But in, I want to say, 2005, I was at um, a party with a literary agent who said, do you do graphic novels at Harper? And I said, no, not really. What do you have? (laughs) And he said, oh, I just started working with this creator named Noelle Stevenson. And I said, I love Noelle's work. Whatever it is, I just have to have it. You know, I've seen her work on Tumblr. Um, and he sent me an early pitch for Nimona. And so Nimona was a big success for us. We signed it up when there were, I think, about three or four chapters already online in the webcomic. And so it was like, we knew it was going to be a book as we were watching it, you know, go up twice a week as a webcomic. Um, And then when it was published, became a National Book Award finalist, was a bestseller for us. Um, And so, you know, I'm a graphic novel reader, you know, just in my personal life and love comics and was just so thrilled with the success of that because it opened the door for me to do a lot more in the graphic novel space. Um, And now here we are a few years later and I have um, a list of graphic novelists and everyone in the business, it seems like, is saying, what's up with graphic novels? What's going on with graphic novels? So it feels like an expanding market and I'm glad to get to do more of them. Awesome. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the acquisition meeting. What is an acquisition meeting? 
Sure. So an acquisition meeting happens once a week at Harper, and it's essentially a group of, you know, senior level people from every department here, from the sales department to the publicity and marketing departments. Um, and it's the place where an editor makes kind of a, you know, formal pitch of a book that um, they want to buy. And he sort of hears from the room and leading up to that meeting, you know, the editor is um, looking at costs from pr our production team saying, you know, if I want to do a graphic novel at this trim size and with this many pages, how much is it going to cost to print? So it really is a meeting where coming into it, you're putting a lot of costs together and you're putting your vision for how to edit a project together because especially in the case of graphic novels, a lot of the submissions that I'm receiving are proposals. They're not yet finished books. Um, and so what I'm actually taking to an acquisitions meeting, to the meeting where I'm trying to um, you know, share my vision with the team could be 10 pages of fully illustrated art. It could be one page of illustrated art and a pitch. You know, I've, I've definitely gotten submissions where, where there's just not much that's finished. Um, but whatever it is, if I think that I can convince a group, a room full of people from every department that it should be a book, then I can bring it forward, share my vision, share what the costs are, and, you know, hopefully get everybody on board in order to clear me to actually make an offer and proceed to um, making it a book. So it's not every single book that you get pitched that you take to acquisitions meeting. It's only ones that you feel like you particularly like, are particularly excited about. That's right. I don't bring a project to acquisitions every week, certainly. Um, I receive a lot of projects on submission every week. And even beyond the projects that I'm receiving on submission from literary agents, I'm also always looking at, you know, art online. I'm going to shows like the Mocha Arts Festival. There are any number of ways that I can encounter a project or an artist or something that could become a book. And the acquisitions meeting is the one where when I feel like, okay, I have a really strong vision for why this project should be a book, whatever it is, that's when I'm putting that project on the agenda for a meeting where I will very formally <laughs> convince my colleagues that it should be a book. So is there anything that you find in common with the projects that you do that makes you want to take them to acquisitions meeting? Like, are are they the ones with the best art, the most realized stories, the authors who are the most famous? Like, what is the thing that makes you say, like, this is one of these books that I want to, you know, take to the next level to take to this meeting and try to buy? Yeah, I think, you know, if you if you think ahead to when you're in a bookstore, and it's a really crowded bookstore, and there are 100 books on the shelf, you know, if you ask yourself, what is it about a book that if I pick it up off the shelf and look at it, makes this the one that I want to buy and take home with me. That's kind of what it feels like waiting through submissions and determining what I want to make an acquisition. And, and so I make that analogy to say it is a really personal and sometimes inexplicable reaction I'm having to a submission that makes me say, I really love this. I really think it should be a book. And sometimes when I take that step back to say, what is it about this project that gives me that initial spark of excitement? It is it's just the art is so brilliant. I've never seen art like this. Sometimes it's, I love the theme here. I've never seen this theme tackled in quite this way. You know, I, I mentioned Nimona. I had seen Noelle's art and what I already knew from her art on Tumblr from, you know, she had done like the Pokemans project. She had done... Um, she was doing a lot of Avengers stuff back then, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she had the Hawkeye project was what it was called. And, you know, where she showed how 
poses that female characters were often depicted in, if it were a man in the same position, look how ridiculous it would look. Um, and so what I knew about her art already was that it had a subversive quality and that she could take something about pop culture um, and show it to you in a way you'd never seen and, and show it for kind of what it really was. And in many different pieces, that kind of quality emerged, that, that voice. And so when I actually saw the pages for Nimona, I said, wow, she's able to do that. And yet it's for a world that she's invented. Um, but it was that subversive quality. It was taking a fantasy story and spinning it on its head. And so it was a little bit the art. It was a little bit the, you know, the themes that I'd never seen before. Um, it was a little bit just actually getting swept up in this story like a reader. All of those things, you know, that I don't always articulate in my brain when I first have that reaction to something that I'm considering on submission, that's like that first spark that happens. And, 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 and I hear it from other editors too. I mean, so often it's that first spark and you know immediately I want this to be a book before you're even able to explain to very formally to the acquisitions committee, here are all the reasons that I've now thought very clearly through for why this should be a book. So do you feel like part of your preparation when you're getting ready to do this big meeting with all of your colleagues is basically taking that initial gut reaction and figuring out how to explain it to people who didn't necessarily have the same initial gut reaction and convince them that they are wrong and they, in fact, need to be as excited about this book as you are, but you have to, you can't just like hold it up necessarily and be like, Right? Yeah. Because in an ideal world, that would be sufficient. Right. It's like you have to articulate this. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's so well put. And I mean, you know, I, I keep talking about Nimona, but I think it is such an interesting acquisition story because, like I said, it was already being serialized as a webcomic. And not only that, but Noelle was still in art school at the time. So, you know, I mean, just kind of like put yourself in the head of a corporate executive and you have a young editor coming into a room and saying, I know this person's in art school. I know they've never, you know, finished a book before this, but I feel really confident that they're going to finish this book and that when they do finish it, it's going to be great. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can sort of see right away how that's like a risk that's being made. And so there is that level of convincing that has to be done um, from an editor, especially when it's on proposal, which for graphic novels is so often the case. I mean, I will say it, it's true of some of the um, prose novels that I acquire too, that I that what I'm seeing is 50 pages and a synopsis of the rest. So especially if it's an author that, you know, I've already worked with or have a history with. So, you know, the acquisitions committee, and I keep saying committee, but really it's a room of my colleagues with whom I have many other meetings all the time. Um, but when we have that acquisitions meeting, when we have that discussion to um, decide what we're going to acquire, um, it is you as the editor who had that gut reaction, and you're already making the leap to exactly where it's going to sit on the bookshelf when it's finished. Um, you know exactly what the cover should look like in your head, you know, all these things. Um, you're kind of presenting them to the room to, you know, as you said, share your vision and make them come around to that gut reaction you had. So you've got the book that you're really excited about and you've got, you've thought about how you're going to explain this. So what other materials do you have to bring to this meeting? Like what other stuff do you have to put together before you can talk to your, because obviously it's, there's all the stuff the author gave you, but is there more material you need to be putting together before you can bring it to that next stage? There is a cover memo. Um, and on that cover memo, is, you know, I'll often say, this is what the pitch was. Here's a synopsis of it. I mean, my colleagues for these acquisitions meetings are reading the same materials that I am ahead of time. Before we ever get into a room, I'm sharing, you know, whatever I have 
whatever pages I'm sharing it with my colleagues. And so they are reading to get a sense of the voice. Often, you know, you know, you have something really great on your hands when they come into the meeting and say, I read this entire manuscript, which often happens. Um, So they are reading what I'm reading. But then I also will often share a cover memo to say, as you're reading this, bear in mind, I know that that twist in chapter three really needs to change because right now it doesn't make sense. And so, you know, with a graphic novel, it might be anything from, I know, you know, that we're not quite starting in the right place. We have 10 illustrated pages, but when you read the synopsis, I really think that moment in chapter two would be a much better starting place. Um, And so, you know, in that process of getting people to come around to your vision, knowing that they're going to be reading it before you ever get to just come into the meeting and say, wow, isn't this amazing? Um, You want to have, you want to be putting your best foot forward with this memo that kind of walks everyone through your vision for what still needs to be done. You know, and sometimes it's, that's a moment where you might share a pertinent backstory from the author. You know, this story that you're reading is inspired by a personal story of the authors or illustrators. And, you know, sometimes you know, if you're if if you're wondering, I mean, to kind of you know just jump ahead a little bit because I imagine a lot of people with an with with these acquisitions meetings um, are wondering, you know, how final does something need to be? Like, if if you're making a leap, often based on a synopsis or sample pages, does that mean I can just send you something that's not quite finished and you all can make the leap from anything? Well, you know, like I said, it does have to be something that I think is strong enough to convince the room and share the vision that I have. But for any number of reasons, it might be that, you know, I, I know um, that we're not going to be able to get the work to get those changes in place before an acquisitions meeting. For example, if there is an artist or, or author who, you know, editors at every house in the business <laughs> is excited about enough that other people would be willing to make the leap, um, then that's the moment that we need to be considering it. We don't always get the luxury of, you know, working for months with an author or illustrator um, to make something totally perfect. But I think the flip side of that is that it is often worth taking that time to work with an author or illustrator ahead of time, or at least to have the conversation ahead of time to say, here's my vision for it. What's your vision for it? So you're not working with an author where you call them to be like, let's sign a contract together and then say, in fact, I have a vision for this. How? What do you <laughs> think about this idea that I have? Right, that's exactly and right. And have them be like, it's garbage. <laughs> also, we're now bound together legally. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I mean, it's it's funny because... You know, there are definitely the moments where I I have the phone call with an author for something that I'm prospectively interested in, and it's just clear that what I would have very quickly put on on an acquisition memo is, oh, and here's how we're going to change it. It's not how the author wants to change it, and that's obviously something you want to figure out before (laughs) acquiring a book. Meeting, yeah. (laughs) Um, So. When you're looking for these books, do you mostly work with agents or are you finding some people through like Mocha or Fest or TCAF or SPX who do not have agents? I would say it is mostly through agents that I'm getting submissions. Um, you know, Harper is technically a closed house, meaning we don't accept unsolicited manuscripts and, you know, I do occasionally, however they get my email address, have creators email me directly. And so I just have to respond and say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't accept unsolicited submissions. You should, sub- you know, you should submit to an agent. But like I said, I do often look at artists' work um, online, and you know, in the couple of instances where I have found someone who 
whose art, you know, called to me for whatever reason. And I thought, okay, I just want to reach out to this person directly. In those cases, they've ended up having literary agents already. This book, you all at home can't see it because I'm holding it up, but it's got (laughs) proof pages in for a book that's coming out in August called Estranged, um, is a creator that I met at Mocha Arts Fest a couple years ago because he had some of his pieces up at his booth and they called to me across the room. Um, and Allie I, and I are going to now look at this book extensively <laughs> because it's like here in front of us in color and all of this stuff and we're very distractible. It's very charming and watercolory. Yes. The, his, That's my report from the field. Full-size watercolors. I mean, the real finished pieces are large and beautiful and looked great across the room at the Mocha Arts Fest. And, you know, when I started talking to him, he said, yeah, I, you know, I, I have a literary agent. I've started serializing this as a webcomic, kind of like what they did with Nimona, if you've ever seen that. And, you know, I'm wearing a hoodie and, like, not even looking like an an editor in professional mode at all. But I said, well, actually, you know, (laughs) I am an editor and I'll be in touch with your agent. I, I, you know, I know your agent. I'll I'll send him a note. And, 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 you know, I mean, that makes for an interesting story because then what I said to his agent was, I need something that I can show my acquisitions committee, Um, you know. Or I need something I can bring to the acquisitions meeting because I felt like immediately seeing his art and seeing in his portfolio the sequential art there, I had the vision. It was that gut feeling we're talking about right away. But again, with someone who does not have the history of having finished other books, and you just sort of have to get the room to come around to it. Yeah. So we are talking a lot about art and synopsis and gut feeling, but I want to also ask you about math. Yeah. Is there math that you have to do before taking stuff to the acquisitions meeting? Are you looking at numbers at all? Yeah, we d- we definitely are looking at numbers and, you know, like I said earlier, some of those numbers are about the production costs and some of them are about how much I think the book should cost because even if, you know, I mean it it, it should be said that especially true of graphic novels, um it might be a year and a half, it might be 2 years between when I'm having this you know, meeting with my acquisitions group, and then when it's actually a book on shelves. Um, but still knowing that the market is could look a little bit different, but you know, from when we're actually discussing it to when it's finally a book. In spite of that, we are looking at what is the market right now? You know, what are you, you hear a term in, in the industry a lot comp titles, what are the comp titles for this book? And, you know, what that means with something like, you know, I've mentioned Nimona, I've mentioned a strange, well, Nimona technically is published as a teen, as a YA novel. And the reason for that is that Noel had already been serializing it. There were adult fans as well as teen fans. There were a couple really light curse words in it. And so when we were discussing it at that acquisitions group meeting and saying, you know, well, we think people who like Adventure Time would like this too because the art is really young and fun. Does that mean we publish it for younger kids? Because like, like the reason we're having a conversation like this is that you've probably noticed that a lot of bookstores, a lot of the major chain bookstores, have a separate section in the store for what's a children's book, which includes middle grade, which is for readers ages 8 to 12. And then way on the other side of the bookstore is YA books, teen books, often close to adult books. And in fact, now some stores even, I've noticed in a lot of independent bookstores as well, the teen graphic novels are mixed in with the adult graphic novels. Whereas if it's a graphic novel that we say is called middle grade, it's in the children's corner. Like Raina's books are not shelved with YA books That's most right. of the time. That's exactly right. And so there was that conversation where here's a creator who hasn't herself put 
a label on her book and said, I want it to be YA. I want it to be middle grade. Um, But all those sorts of market concerns and market conversations happen at that acquisitions meeting and and affect the math of things like, you know, therefore, how much should this cost? Um, Looking at the comp titles, looking where in the store, where, you know, where on the bookshelf this book is going to be, how have other books in that on that same space performed? And if this artist or author is not a debut, do they have other books? And how have their previous books performed? And so it is crunching all these numbers together to kind of see if the book feels like a sound investment. But really, I, th- I think of it as, you know, just kind of the meeting where we're all getting on the same page about where this is going to fit in the market. It's taking that vision, that sort of like general big picture gut check. Yes, I just want this to be a book. And then kind of like honing it to, okay, what ex- like what are the exact specifications of this book supposed to look like in two years? I'd just like to take a second here because I love this and I want to make sure people listening really understand exactly what you're saying here. So you're saying, what you're saying is you're going to take this proposal for a book that usually has not been drawn yet, that will not be on sale for at least two years from this meeting. And you're like, how much is it going to cost to physically print <laughs> this book? And where in this bookstore that may or may not exist yet is this book going to be? Which, of course, um, affects the price as well, right? Because you can probably charge more for YA books than you can charge for books for 10-year-olds. Where is a hypothetical person going to see this book on a shelf in two years? And that's going to help us determine whether... It's it's so fascinating. It's like it's very mundane details, except that you're projecting very far into the future. And obviously, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that goes into making those kinds of... I'm sure that you were much better at guessing this stuff, for instance, than I would be if you just gave me a pen and some paper. Like, all right. Yes. How much is the paper going to cost, Allison? I'd yeah. be like, well, if I got it like staples, it would be, <laughs> be very it's expensive. It's like 10 cents aside, so yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's so true. And it's why, you know, as an editor, I'm constantly reading and constantly going into bookstores and seeing what else is on the shelf and seeing what else is coming out and seeing where booksellers are putting their books. And there's a younger series out right now that I really love. It's called Narwhal and Jellyfish um, that I think is like 64 pages, but it's it's going, okay, where in the bookstore does a book that kind of like straddles age groups go? And, and how do I answer those questions? Because it's going to help me explain to the room, you know, when I have that next thing that kind of defies easy categorization, I can say, well, like, let's look at, you know, where in the bookstore that book went. A lot of the indies are starting YA graphic novel sections now, too. Yeah. And it's pretty good. So the other thing that's so kind of talking a little bit more about the idea of comp titles, mm-hmm. I'm actually really curious about this because talking to other people about this kind of thing in the past, I get the sense that sometimes one of the things that's difficult about a book that later ends up being very successful is the part of why it's successful is it's doing something different, which can weirdly make it hard to sell internally because you're like, well, it's not really quite like anything else. It's hard to come up with comp titles for this, but that's why I'm excited about it. Like, have you had that? It sounds like Nimona was a little bit of an experience like that for you. Is that something that has come up for you before where you're like, part of why I like this is I have no idea what the comp titles are? Yes. So, and I think this is a big reason why why I love our acquisitions meetings and why I love having representatives from every department at an acquisitions meeting is because I, as an editor, often have my view on this is what, when you read this book, it does really well. What my publicist might know is 
you know, oh, well, that book that was really successful, that author is the best speaker in the world and got himself into every school, you know, on the Eastern Seaboard. And the reason why that book broke out is because it was, you know, a year of school visits that that author did. Yeah. Is your author prepared to do the same? (laughs) Is your author prepared to do the same? Is your author who you're saying is a good comp for that book going to do a year worth of school visits um, to make it happen in the same way? And, you know, that's where, like I say, I mean, I might have it in my head that, that, that this book is a perfect comp for my book because when you read them, they're both, you know, thrillers and they both are page turners and they both have a shocking twist at the end. And then the discussion in the room sometimes can be, well, I think that that title of that comp title was a huge part of what made that book successful. And, you know, your book has a paragraph long title and, you know, how can we make sure that, that your book has a, has an exciting title that will grab readers in the same way as this comp title you're saying justifies the existence. So it it is a little bit funny sometimes where you have that moment of like, okay, now we're just talking a lot about the comp title and I'm trying to talk about this new book um, that is different, but you also, I have to say, I mean, I, I, you know, lest it seem like I'm like saying it's a pointless exercise. I've also seen that booksellers use comp titles in the same way and that, you know, when our sales team down the line has to take a finished book into a bookstore and, you know, has however many books to pitch in a very short amount of time, booksellers are doing that exact same thing where if, if, you know, our sales team can say, this book is the next Nimona, if the bookseller agrees, yes, I can see the reasons why you're saying that, then the bookseller has a really easy yes to including that book in their bookstore. If the bookseller says, no, this couldn't possibly be the next Nimona because Nimona had a one-word title and this book has a two-word title, and I think that was the reason why Nimona was successful, then you know the bookseller doesn't take the book. So the fact that we have that kind of conversation really early on and can get on the same page very early on about what we think needs to happen for this you know, germ of an idea that we're all considering to be successful in two years. I've found it very helpful for that reason. I found it very helpful to hear from every department that early on, okay, you need to, this is what you need to be thinking of publicity and marketing wise for this book, or this is what you need to make sure happens with the cover in a year to make sure that we're landing on the shelf where you think we should be landing on the shelf. So can you walk us through the actual meeting process? Like, so first you send out an email that's like, here's this, this thing. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's like an email. I mean, we have, you know, our internal drive where I'm posting everything. Throwing stuff up on Dropbox or something similar. Right, exactly, exactly. And so everyone who's, who's presenting at the meeting that week just uploads their folder of future Nimona to the Dropbox server so that all the internal people at Harper can read it ahead of time. That's right. So what, I mean, I'm not expecting you to like name every one of your colleagues, but like what types of people are at a meeting like this? Like who's sitting around that table? Yeah, so it's the it's, it's senior level people from marketing, publicity, um, finance, our publisher, our editor in chief, uh, my direct editorial director, Myself, you know, the editor who might be presenting before or after me, you know, and if people have assistance with them helping to hold up art for a graphic novel, like it can end up being, I feel like a full room. But when it's your turn to present, you sit at the table and you say, you've now all had a chance to read the thing that I posted. Do people ever like email you beforehand to say like, I read this thing? Yeah, 
Yes, that does happen. People stop by more often. They'll stop by my office and they'll say, I read that thing you're bringing to acquisitions tomorrow. You know, I, I feel like you sometimes get it. Yeah, you sometimes get a sense people are really excited about it before a meeting. But more often, I have no sense going into that meeting. And it, that's not a bad thing. You know, I that doesn't mean I'm going into the meeting going, like, why didn't I hear about this? Like, it means, you know, like everyone was really busy that week. Every Yeah, everyone read it and they're excited to discuss it at the acquisitions meeting. You didn't happen to be in the kitchen at the same time as them. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm, yeah. Come in and go straight to my office in the mornings. So you're so, so like, this is going to sound silly, but like physically, like, do you have to stand at the front of the room? Or are you all it's sitting a round around table. a table? It's okay. a round ra- Yeah, it's a round table. Um, are there enough seats for everybody? Or do you have to like stand in the wings until it's your turn to sit at the table? We have a nice office space. It's there's a round table, and then it's and then there are chairs. Also, I know these are like silly specific questions, but I feel like it's easy to forget that like this is a th- like a thing that a person has to go and do. Like you have to talk. It's like public speaking. And it you is have to talk it to your is colleagues. Pu- there's and... a surprising amount of public speaking involved in being an editor, and I'll say, you know, I mean, because I think the acquisitions meeting is the first of such pitches for you as the editor. It's the first time you're getting in front of a room and saying. This is what I love about this book. Um, this is where I think it will go on the shelf. But then as an editor, I might make that a similar version of that pitch, you know, countless times in various meetings, whether it's to librarians, whether it's to the whole division when we're officially launching the book a year later. So in some ways, it feels like an extra skill that an editor has to be able to take it to an acquisition meeting and present it in this way. But honestly, it's a big part of my job to be able to present books in that way in various contexts. Okay, so you're standing in front of the, or you're sitting at the sitting table. Sitting at the round table. <laughs> you're like, let me tell you about this book. It has a spark. Here's some art that I'm holding up in front of you to show you how good it is. Then what happens? And then they say, we know, we love it. <laughs> we also see the spark every time. Um, no, but really, I mean, what what happens is that people weigh in, you know, and they say, I read this, and and you can get you know, reactions anywhere from just, yep, absolutely love it. I see it the same way you do and done to a lot of the things that I've been just, you know, mentioning will come up at that meeting. Like, I love it, but I'm wondering about the title or um, I had a hard time with that twist in chapter three. You know, I know you mentioned in your memo that you might change it, but, you know, what do you think? How are you, you know, let's talk more about that. Or what did the author say when you you say you had a great call with the author? So you're getting both editorial feedback and like marketing, publicity, sales, numbers, feedback at the same yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. This is maybe backing up a little bit, but obviously this varies from publishing house to publishing house and even from editor to editor, but kind of very, very roughly, what percentage of books that get to this stage end up being books that you acquire. I mean, obviously, sometimes something's out of your control. Maybe your boss just really hates books about horses or something, and these things just happen. But like, generally speaking, barring some kind of a disaster. Yeah. Do you take them there to be like, I really want to see what the room thinks? Or do you take them there to be like, I will die for this book? Let me acquire it immediately. Well, and that's one that, yeah, as you say, might vary editor to editor. But my answer is I am taking a book to acquisitions if I would die if I couldn't work on this book. And, you know, I'm reading a lot of submissions. I'm sharing submissions with my editorial director in advance of even putting it on an agenda for an acquisitions meeting. We have within HarperCollins, I'm on on an eight-person editorial team. You know, we do often discuss projects at our weekly meeting, you know, there's a lot of thinking and honing that market vision or, you know, whatever it is, 
yes, I had the initial spark, but I don't have the initial spark and then immediately put it on the agenda um, for the meeting. It's doing a lot of thinking about, okay, what is my vision for this book? And then once I feel like it's really solid and once I feel like I can make a really persuasive case to the room, that's that's the kind of thing that I'm bringing to acquisitions. Because it is, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of downplaying it a little bit, but there is clearly if I'm getting, you know, numbers from production and doing a memo and talking to the author ahead of time, it's an investment of time to even bring forward to this meeting. So I want it to be the book's that I feel really passionately about. It's like a big chunk out of your physical time during the week is putting these presentations together and everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how do people come to a decision? You know, so like people come in and they're like, will this author tour the Eastern Seaboard? And will you change the title to three words instead of one? And I think I need the cover to be blue. How do they all agree? And also, are they agreeing at that meeting? Or is it like we're going to sit and think about it for a week and get back to you? I think you are coming to an agreement at that meeting. Um, and I think it's it's funny how you can feel the way the room is like, you know, coming to a consensus about things. Um, and, you know, again, this is the meeting that's officially clearing you to move forward to make an offer. You know, so I think, you know, you get the sense of any feedback that you need to consider before you're making an offer. But I think it's like the general thesis of a, an acquisitions meeting is that we'll, we'll all come as much to an agreement as possible. Like everyone will say their piece or their concerns. But after everyone has voiced those concerns or thoughts, then we all kind of agree like, OK, so we agree that if we do this, this and this, then it's going to look like this great, now go ahead with those expectations. Because I really think it's a, you know, it's a meeting about setting expectations very clearly. It's like setting the game plan in motion for what you want to do going forward with that book. So you feel less, it's not that there's like a judge who's like banging the gavel and be like, I declare this book is acquired. It's more like you as a group of people are coming to a consensus about how you feel about this book. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we have a president and publisher who, you know, I, I just honestly can't tell you in all my time that I've ever seen a room that was so sharply divided that it came down to like the deciding vote. Um, I think that it's because enough people read it ahead of time and because, you know, there's enough already conversation happening before something even goes to that meeting um, that I think it gets to be the way that it does, that it gets to be that sort of like consensus seeking discussion. Also, so is this like a regularly scheduled meeting that you're having once every month or two? Or is it, you know, you wait till you have a sufficient number of books? Like how kind of is the scheduled? The meeting happens every week. Oh, wow. Yeah, the meeting happens every week. And I certainly don't go to it every week. I don't have something that I want to acquire every week. You're not um, editing 50-plus books every year. <laughs> yeah, not, not editing 50-plus books a year. I mean, you know, not every book that I take to acquisitions and even get cleared to make an offer do I end up getting. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of the job of being an editor is that a, a lot of projects get lots of interest. And sometimes I am taking something to an acquisition meeting knowing that lots of editors are taking it to their own acquisitions meetings across the industry. And so sometimes you have that game plan set. And then again, like I say, this is the meeting that's green lighting me to even make the offer to the agent or directly to the creator. So it's not at that point, 100% guaranteed that I end up, you know, signing up that book afterward. But um, so I Yeah, take more books to acquisitions than I have on my list. So how do advances come into this conversation? Because that's that's part of the money set of things that you must be looking at, too. 
It is. Is this something you're going into the meeting being like, I think this is the advance I want to offer this author? Or is this something where you're asking your colleagues? Where in the conversation is that happening? Like, are those decisions getting made? Are you making it ahead of time? Is that handed off to somebody else who then comes back to you and is like, okay, this is what I think that we can, like, kind of whose job is it, I guess, to figure that out? We talk about it in the meeting. And I think it's, um, there's so many factors that go into what kind of advance a book can support. And then, you know, it is something where there's a negotiation process that happens if I want to acquire a book. Like, it's very rare that I make an offer to an agent and they just say, great, done, you know. Um, so, you know, I think that it's one of those things that the conversation starts in the acquisitions meeting about what kind of offer I can make on a book. But that is the part of the conversation that usually goes well after the acquisitions meeting. Because, you know, now that I know from the acquisitions meeting, how we're all feeling about a book and how excited we all are and where we think it'll fit on the shelf. You know, once I actually start negotiating it, I might have to, you know, then I might have to send an email or come back to the group and say, here's what what the agent's saying. Here's what the author's saying. Here's what they're saying they'll need. Can we put an earn out bonus on this? Right. What can we do in the negotiation remembering how we all felt when we all were in that meeting and discussing it. And yeah, those end up being kind of like separate decisions. But the conversation starts at that meeting for sure. And so are there are there other things like rights or um, like territories or anything like that that come up in the meeting as well as like different points you would discuss about the book and the offer that you want to make and what would contribute to the offer that you could do? Yeah, um, agents will often say when they originally submit a project, here are the rights that are on offer. And so, you know, that does factor into the kind of offer that I can make because, you know, if the agent is, for example, saying, we want to handle the translation rights to this book ourselves, we're only offering you the North American rights to this book, then that means that my foreign rights team can't make money for the company selling the foreign rights, you know, at the Bologna Book Fair. So it affects how much money the we think the book will be making for us. Yeah. And so we, we, we do discuss rights there. Um, and that goes for like the Scholastic Book Fairs. It goes for the Scholastic Book Fairs. We have someone. Library Guild. You know what? I I'm, I'm feel like I've, I've, I've said so many times who all is at that meeting, but like the more I keep thinking about it, the more I'm like, oh, also someone from the sub rights team is at that meeting. <laughs> also someone from the library marketing team is at that meeting. And, you know, they're weighing in on, I think I could sell this kind of sub right for this book. You know, I think this would be a great one for um, this foreign market, especially. So if you can, you know, please do try to get the foreign rights for this book because I, you know, would love to try to sell them. Or So when, in other words, when the agent doesn't specify ahead of time, here's what I absolutely will offer you. Here's what I absolutely will not offer you. I'm getting that kind of feedback from colleagues in the in the room who say... Here are the you know other markets I think I could do well with this book in. So that's where you might be having a conversation where, like, for instance, one of your sub rights person might be like, I have a really great relationship with this, you know, publisher in Spain or whatever who is looking for exactly this yes. kind of thing. Yeah. And we have all those connections already. So I think we could really do a good job for this author. And so it's in their best interest. You can then come back to the agent and be like, well, at our acquisitions meeting, our sub rights person was so excited about Spain. And like, yeah. you can, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Which you might not have known necessarily going in. Maybe you didn't have like a super Spain relevant book right. previously. That's right. That's right. So would you say that your rate of getting an okay from books that you take to acquisition meeting is like one out of 10 or is it like nine out of 10? It's like nine out of 10 because again, of all the, you know, 
conversation that happens ahead of time. And I only am taking books to the acquisitions meeting where I feel really confident. And again, I mean, I think it's it's more often that the way that meeting goes is you were saying this is the next Hunger Games, but because we're not seeing it as the next Hunger Games, we're seeing this as like a nice thriller, like it's not so much a no that I would walk away from that meeting with as, you know. This, we are not paying $1 million right, right. If that agent book. is telling you that they need $1 million for this book, you know, we're, we can't clear you to, <laughs> to do that. So is that one of the one in 10 or is that one of the nine in 10? It's, you know, your call, but. <laughs> so do you tell authors and agents that you're taking a book to the acquisitions meeting this week? Like, you'll be like, our acquisitions meeting is Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Like, expect an answer following that. So they're on the edge of their seats. Sometimes I do, especially because in this market, I feel like when books do get competitive, you know, an editor, another editor might try to swoop in and make an early offer and put a time limit on it. Or an author might end up having a decision on their hands and really want to know who was the first editor who read it overnight and was just immediately obsessed with it and had the gut feeling right away and who was the editor who heard that other editors were interested and kind of decided to take it to the acquisitions meeting because everyone else was taking it to an acquisitions meeting. So there are definitely the times where I think I really want this agent or author to know that I read this right away and that I have an action plan immediately because I just really responded to it. But I don't always say it because the flip side of that, like insider baseball competitive coin is that, you know, I've gotten emails from agents too that say there's interest here where are you with it? And so what ends up happening is that if I tell an agent I'm taking something to an acquisitions meeting, that's like their, you know, immediate leverage to tell everyone else. Blood in the water. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then what happens afterwards? Do you do you call the author and the agent right away? Do you sit and put a deal memo together over the next week or like Yeah, I, I think that one I think that varies editor to editor. I, in my personal experience, have almost always called (laughs) the agent right away. I just get so excited when I come out of an acquisitions meeting and know that everyone else loves it as much as I had hoped that they would. And I usually call the agent and say, I'm still, you know, putting the final paperwork together. or I'm still getting all the terms together to send you an official email later in the day. But, um, you know, I'll be coming through with an offer. Often, you know, that's the moment where, um, because one thing I haven't mentioned is, you know, that acquisitions meeting sometimes is the place, especially where we discuss, you know, based on everyone's enthusiasm level or whatever else, should we be offering for one book at this moment? Should we be offering for three books at this moment? Because, you know, sometimes an author will send us a pitch and it's like, this story can only take place over three parts. You know, at the end of part one, there's going to be a huge cliffhanger and it won't wrap up at all. And so when we're discussing a project like that with the acquisitions group, it's, feels like three are we in for three books or are we in for zero books whereas sometimes another author might send you know and i see this a lot right now uh standalone with the potential for more because people know they don't want to you know hobble a project that way by having the acquisitions group have to decide on three right away um so often when i'm making that call and i say okay well i'm getting the paperwork together but i will be coming in with a two book offer or i'll be coming in with an offer um you know that's like just giving them a really general big picture sense of what to expect. 
Is there anything else you want to talk about? Have we forgotten to ask you anything vitally important? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I've demystified it or, or like re-mystified it for people because I, I really think it's like... A shadowy group of figures <laughs> deciding your right. fate. Well, well, I can I can tell there's this point of like how how does a room just reach this magical consensus and you know maybe it is something that is like a little bit mystical that happens where you know room group thing just like manages to come around to consensus. But that is kind of how it always feels like it ends up going. Is that by the time you've heard everyone speak, because everyone who's speaking in that room is someone who loves books and is someone who ha- brings a an you know their own expertise to the market and like i said with the you know example of a publicist who knows that the author's success came from so many school visits sometimes as an editor you you do learn something about the project you brought in that you didn't know going into that meeting so it's you know reaching a consensus because all of these people who have their own vision and mindset and approach are offering things that are really good points. You know, it's very rarely the argument of, I see it like this. Well, no, you're wrong. It's like, oh, wow, that is something I hadn't considered. Thank you for bringing that up. So, I mean, obviously, you're not the only acquiring editor at your very large publisher. Do you get emailed about basically everything that's going to be going into acquisitions, regardless of whether or not you're scheduled for that meeting? Or like, how does that work? Like, are you are you seeing basically everything go through the system? And then you can kind of just pick and choose from which of those things you're going to read? Or... Are you like, basically, you're on the docket this week, and therefore you're getting this email where all the Dropbox links are or whatnot? Yeah, we all know what's going to the acquisitions meeting every week. You know, I, I know what's on the docket, but I don't have to attend the meeting as an editor, as an acquiring editor, if I don't have something on the docket. Do you ever attend them just because you're excited about something or because like your one of your friends is like so like what what are reasons why you would go to an acquisitions meeting where you don't actually have to do anything? Do you go to report uh, how your negotiations last week went? No. No, that is yeah, the 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 follow up to an acquisitions meeting is not at an acquisitions <laughs> meeting. It's either an email or a different meeting. Um and I have gone in the past to an acquisitions meeting to support. Usually it's to support an editor who I know is really excited to present something. And, you know, you know I just want to hear what the room says and how it goes. But the, because the room can get crowded and people are sitting on that baseball waiting area, <laughs> you know, there's the feeling of like, if it's a crowded room, I might just turn around and walk back out. But because people are getting, you, you get called in. I mean, you're on the agenda, but then you'll get a phone call from someone in the room saying it's, you know, they're ready for you in the acquisition. So you just meeting. have to like mill around your office until it's your turn. That's right. <laughs> that sounds That's right. so stressful. <laughs> I, it was, it was stressful when I first, when I first got to Harper, I remember just, you know, the night before an acquisitions meeting, like, worrying about how it was going to go. But as you start getting used to them and realizing that it is this, you know, not red light, green light, but meeting of the minds, I I feel like it's gotten less stressful. Awesome. Well, I think we have come to the end of all of our questions about acquisitions meetings. We too have reached a group consensus. (laughs) This was super informative and helpful. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Can you tell people where they can find you on the internet if they wish to look up more information about you? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at Andrew as always. I don't remember why I picked that username originally, but then when I changed my last name when I got married last summer, I was really glad that I had because it suddenly felt like (laughs) a joke I'd planned or something. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
Thank you for listening to Graphic Novel TK. Next time, join us for a conversation about the book offer with Katie Lane. We'll talk all about contracts and how they work and what you're getting into when you get one. Extremely excited. Katie is charming and delicious. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com. around the back you know like the what's the bait what, what where are you in baseball before you get up to bat <laughs> i feel like there's a this place is like, oh my God, three book nerds <laughs> being like it's a sports thing it's a sports thing there's a place there's a you bench. stand before yeah. you go to bat That's, yeah. we, we have the chair versions of those i don't know why i tried to do a sports analogy but i so I mean, clearly don't know great. it we'll delight somebody with our ignorance <laughs> we'll get an angry tweet about this later yeah <laughs> Like your comics people, I expected to know you to know two hundred percent of the things about sports. <laughs> I don't understand why this has happened.